Welcome to Insurance Uncovered, now in our second year of bringing you insurance news and an inside perspective from thought leaders in the property casualty insurance industry. Insurance Uncovered is produced by the National Association of Mutual Insurance Companies. Hello everyone, I'm Kathy Inus. Today we're uncovering global insurance regulation. Will Team USA vote no on adopting the insurance capital standards being developed by the IAIS? Plus, standing up for states' rights. Representative Ted Budd shares how we can help protect our state-based system of insurance. And the 2019 Mutual Factor. Details on the new research about the mutual insurance industry to be unveiled during NAMIC's annual convention. The U.S. Senate Banking Committee held a hearing last week to discuss areas of concern regarding the regulation and supervision of the global insurance industry. Representatives of Team USA addressed key issues regarding the insurance capital standard currently being developed by the International Association of Insurance Supervisors. NAMIC worked closely with the Banking Committee and submitted a statement underscoring the importance of Team USA not agreeing to adopt harmful international insurance standards that will impact insurance companies and policyholders. With the approaching November IAIS meeting in Abu Dhabi, Senators Mike Rounds and Tim Scott pressed members of Team USA to commit to voting yes or no on adopting the reference ICS. In each particular case, if we move forward and we don't make it very clear that at the international level there has to be an allowance for the way that our companies do business, then I think this becomes a failure. And the one thing we don't want to do is to have a failure on our hands in this particular case, but there has to be a recognition. And uh, if they simply seem to move forward and allow us to kick this can down the road without making it very clear, then I think we failed in this particular case. I need the confidence that the system has to be protected against all odds, or I should rethink my commitment to those folks who are going to represent Team USA. So I want to be that clear that in order for me to be in a very comfortable position moving forward, and I think this committee should embrace and adopt that concept that it is that important for Team USA to speak with one voice, from one page, consistently in a world where we are 40% of the market and our system protects our policyholders from something that other folks don't have to be protected from, I want to know that we are as close to a nowhere extension as possible. The outcomes of these discussions have tremendous potential to harm competitive insurance markets in the U.S. and ultimately policyholders. So having Team USA commit to a no vote during the hearing could have potentially disengaged them from further dialogues at the IAIS. However, none of them formally announced their position. Another champion for state-based insurance is warning against harmful international insurance standards. U.S. Representatives Ted Budd and French Hill authored an op-ed titled, Don't Let Europe Regulate Our Insurance Industry. On today's Unscripted, our Chuck Chamness talks with Bud, NAMIC's Federal Legislator of the Year, who encourages members to keep the pressure on top federal legislators to protect our state-based system of insurance. Well, my guest today on Insurance Unscripted is U.S. Representative Ted Budd, who is also named NAMIC's 2019 Federal Legislator of the Year for a variety of reasons, and, and we'll get to them today. But it certainly includes a strong defense of our state-based system of insurance regulation. So, uh, Congressman, thanks so much for joining us today. 
Chuck, it's a real honor. Thanks for your time. You know, we don't have time to go through your whole bio, but I understand uh, just this morning uh, here in September, uh, you were to breakfast with Jimmy in our DC office and you were introduced by a um, ranking member of the committee and a, and a great leader also with NAMIC, uh, Patrick McHenry, who said, you know, it's not just that you're a small businessman, but you're a leading like theologian. And he gave you just the most uh, uh, incredibly generous introduction. And uh, so I wonder, just to start, you've been in Congress a few years now, long enough to make an impact for our industry, but what left, what caused you to go from, uh, you know, successful businessman and family man, happily living in, in North Carolina to uh, be elected and to take on this role, you know, for the country? Oh, thank you for that. It's very kind. The, uh, the joke is that it's the perfect blend of optimism and ignorance yeah. that combines together yeah. to, uh, to run for office in some of these, uh, these interesting uh, positions and interesting times. But really, it was, uh, it was more about how I was raised. I was raised on a family farm outside of Winston-Salem, and I uh, still live on that farm today. Um, so we had uh, that business. We also had a facility services company that was starting to grow in Winston. It took care of landscaping, janitorial needs for hospitals, colleges, big office buildings. And uh, so growing up working in those two types of industries was very influential uh, in, in my life about how I could interact with the whole range and uh, genuinely care for people um, in a business setting. And I would also, because of that, I would get to meet a lot of community leaders, city leaders, um, and, uh, and political leaders. Uh, governors and uh, uh, mayors and such. So it was it was common for me just to, to be in this type of environment, but I never really thought that I would be in it. Maybe one day later when the kids were out of the house, I'd take a look at it, but uh, we still have or had kids at home and was given that opportunity uh, with the redistricting of North Carolina in 2016. So I took a shot and there was a big primary of 17 people. A friend of mine told me I'd, there'd be five. There were, uh, there were 17 of us, yep. so he was dead wrong, but we ended up winning and, uh, and then made it through the general as well. Well, maybe I should just pick up there with uh, one other bit of uh, recent news, but yesterday there was an election, a special election in North Carolina. Actually, there were two. And, um, you know, in one, I think the Republicans expected to win easily, and the other, it was viewed as a toss-up. Uh, I just wondered, you know, going into your next election, are there any lessons or takeaways that you would uh, would would learn from uh, you know what happened yesterday uh, absolutely so I did know uh, both candidates they're the, the winners are both great people will be wonderful members of Congress um, you know we don't know yet what committee they're going to end on but the North Carolina three was Eastern North Carolina district that replaced uh, Walter Jones after he unfortunately passed away earlier this year so um, that's Greg Murphy um, it's the biggest physical district in the state. Uh, the other one, which was the biggest challenge, was uh, North Carolina 9, and that was to replace Robert Pittenger, who was on the Financial Services Committee. Um, and then we had, to, as we refer to, some recent unpleasantness when it came to uh, an election that was uh, overturned. They called for a new election um, after last November. Um, that election that was overturned was won by the Republican but with 905 votes. Um, and it was such a challenging year. I mean, we, we lost the majority uh, as a Republicans. And in uh, last night, 
Um, he didn't win by 905 votes. He won by almost 4,000 votes. So great progress for um, uh, with him as a Republican. And uh, I think it's a good sign. That's not what the narratives are saying um, in the paper, but we expect that. We just think it's a good sign. And that brings us up to 199 Republicans. It takes 218 to uh, have a majority. So we think it's a good sign. Um, and, of course, there's a lot of work to do going into 2020. Yep, yep. And that is still a little ways away. But let's turn to uh, your work, you know, on the committee and, and in Congress. You've done such a, a tremendous job in defending the state-based system of insurance regulation from federal intrusion and also from, you know, international or foreign intrusion, where we've talked about uh, some of the standard setting that's taking place, uh, some of the agreements that are being made between, uh, you know, U.S. officials and and international um, insurance um, policymakers. You know, what causes you to, uh, to take this up? And I'd um, also note that today you had a, an op-ed published along with uh, Representative French Hill that I just think was uh, tremendously uh, well done and uh, that kind of hit some of these same themes about uh, preserving our U.S. system of regulation and not letting it uh, become, um, you know, just like some of the very different models used in uh, places like Europe? So it, it, one thing that motivates me uh, to fight for the state-based system is I look simply in the Constitution and the amendments. I mean, I have the Tenth Amendment right in front of me. It says the power is not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. Meaning it's not been expressly delegated to the, to the federal government. That means it belongs to the state. So for reasons of constitutionality, I want to preserve it. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, from a practical business perspective, we have great consumer experience uh, as far as their interactions with, uh, uh, with the ins insurance industry. Uh, as I understand it, much better than the European experience with the consumers. So I, why, why break something, you know, that's already working? And uh, why go backwards in this? We don't need to um, uh, homogenize ourselves with the Europeans, especially on this. So I say let's uh, stand up for national sovereignty and states' rights. Um, and uh, that's one of the reasons why I fight for it. Well, that's a good answer. You know, the, uh, the international system, um, well, the one favored by Europe, Solvency II, um, it's only been in place for about three years, and so you know we see our system as time-tested, stress-tested. Uh, you know, with 120, 30 years of uh, experience, it's not perfect, but uh, we think it's worth uh, fighting for and worth preserving. And you know, to that end, I know and I've seen the hearings where you uh, talked with, whether it's Secretary Mnuchin or Federal Reserve Chairman Powell, about um, you know their role in these international discussions defending our uh, system of, of insurance regulation. What kind of impact do you think it has when, you know, you and, and other like-minded members kind of put them on the spot about this topic in, in those forums? You know, it's, uh, we really had to push in those hearing settings. Uh, they didn't want to uh, commit to uh, how they would approach this international capital standard in the upcoming meetings in Dubai, but we think we made a lot of progress there. And I also, you know, just want to give credit to uh, uh, Representative Sean Duffy and Senator Mike Brown. Uh, they really played an important role in this, too. Um, I think our fight on this would have been a lost cause at this point. 
And, you know, because of our work, we've gotten the Treasury and the Fed to give us commitments on the record. And that's very important to have it on the record. That way, the representatives that go to the Abu Dhabi meeting on November 17th uh, can look back at what essentially their bosses in the administration have said. Uh, so we really want to hold them to that. And uh, again, that is something that uh, I would encourage all your listeners, all your members to do is just keep the pressure on the Fed and the Treasury from the top levels um, all the way to the staff levels. Keep up the op-eds, um, you, you know, like the one that, uh, that we wrote recently with, with French Hill. And, uh, you know, in- help us introduce bipartisan legislation and support that. And it's just got to be all hands on deck. But, um, you know, we're glad that we were able to get uh, Powell and Mnuchin to commit um, to our state-based system. But now we have to follow through uh, with this upcoming Abu Dhabi meeting. Yeah, we certainly do. And, uh, and NAMIC, with your help and others, will be uh, working on that and have uh, you know one of our representatives, Michelle Rogers, who just does a tremendous job on these issues uh, on the ground in Abu Dhabi to uh, carry our members' view. You know, looking at Washington, and I was just in Wisconsin yesterday and speaking to a group of our members about kind of the scene in Washington and the environment that we operate in. You're relatively new to, to Congress, and you were there in the Republican majority. Now you're there with the Democratic majority. You know, can you tell us a little bit about what it's like, you know, working today in the House and and in the Financial Services Committee? Uh, you know, the media makes it out to be a pretty terrible environment. Um, I just wonder what it's like from your perspective. Well, I get asked a similar question and what surprises you and that is how fast the calendar moves and how much activity there is but how slow legislation moves i mean it's a lot of work to get significant things passed but when it comes to the media and that really is the question that once we get past um, the business issues that we work on uh you know and the, the main dynamic issues people are saying what's it really like is it how divisive is it how do you stand it but let me tell you, there's a big difference between, and you've walked the halls. I mean, we, I've seen you here and we've met before, and there's a big difference between what you see on television and what you experience in the elevators when the buzzer calls votes. I mean, if I'm jammed in the elevator with Maxine Waters, we're courteous, I'm asking things are how things are in Inglewood, Los Angeles area. Uh, if there's a hurricane in North Carolina, she's concerned about us. So on that kind of level, we really get along. But if you think about, if we keep our business hats on, and think about how the media operates. It's a business in itself. And there's that old saying with newspapers that that bleeds, it leads. So the more of a train wreck that the media makes us out to be, uh, the more viewers there are. And they have to generate more viewership and longer viewership. Because think about how many outlets there were when I was young, you were young. There were maybe uh, two newspapers, three news channels. And now it's just prolific, including the websites. And uh, they have to have enough news um, and enough excitement and enough tragedy for us to keep watching. So it's yep. really part of their business model to, uh, to get us worked up and, uh, hey, turn it off. Let's go back to business. Let's sit across the dinner tables from our family, friends, neighbors, and loved ones. Um, but I would say it's a lot different between how it actually happens here and what you see reported on the news. Yeah, the other thing is uh, the extent to which, you know, with all the choices people have in terms of where they get their news, um, you know, and all the sources today and the way it's it's targeted toward a particular viewpoints, you know, you just don't get the variety that you used to. And uh, not that the variety is always good, but it was, um, um, it was different then. And, 
And you're right, the, the media has a, a built-in uh, interest in um, you know, pointing out the conflict and uh, making headlines with it. It does. I mean, I, you know, we've got uh, a joke about the, uh, the gym in the bottom of uh, Rayburn mm -hmm. House office building. It's like a 1995 YMCA, and it's completely bipartisan. Um, and then, you know, like last night, I was at a committee for responsible budget dinner. There was Leon Panetta. There was Janet Yellen. Nice conversation. Of course, you know, that's not the divisiveness that the news would portray. But the boring stuff that's down in the weeds that makes uh, the world go round, that doesn't make the news. Uh, it's the, uh, the head-on, bare-knuckled conflict that makes the news, and that's just not always the true and accurate picture. Well, let me ask one more question before we run out of time here. But um, we have uh, at NAMIC really worked to establish our political action committee as a, as a powerhouse in D.C. and started really just you know, 12 years or so ago with not enough money to even support our friends, just a few hundred thousand dollars, and we've grown it to a million two uh, this cycle. And I just wonder if you could, well, that combined with our grassroots uh, congressional contact program where our members come out on their own dime to meet on Capitol Hill for a day with their delegation and talk about you know, really what people in our industry back home think about the issues that are uh, emerging. But, you know, those two factors, I just wonder from your perspective, um, you know, what is the value of, you know, activism by the business community, by NAMIC members? You know, what kind of impact does it have? Well, in several ways. One is you have your day in and day out. You've got a great team up here in Washington that really keep us um, on the forefront of what the issues are that are concerning to you and to your members. And these are issues that would be easily missed if it weren't brought to our attention. Now, you know, we may agree, we may disagree. Uh, I'm a, you know, a pro-business mindset too. So I, I think that leads to most human flourishing. So uh, we're most likely gonna agree. Uh, but when you look at the IAIS, I mean, these are issues for people that aren't in your industry that are down in the weeds. So I just wanna, you know, give you kudos for the team that's up here um, that helps explain these things to us and say why it's important uh, to your members and to the economy. Um, even, you know, like I brought up earlier, a constitutional issues such as the Tenth Amendment. Um, and we appreciate it when we, uh, you know, when we do what we believe as individuals and it ends up working out and aligning with a particular interest, you know, you let us, you let us uh, meet your members, say thank you. Uh, we've got the wonderful uh, Legislator of the Year Award here with uh, Ben Franklin looking at me every morning. So I, I appreciate that, and, uh, um, you know, that means a lot. So uh, we take you very seriously. We love uh, learning about the issues and helping out where we can. Well, Congressman, thanks so much for your time today. I am so proud that you can look at the, it's, we call him the Platinum Ben. He's the highest Ben there is. There's a lot of bronze Bens, you know, standing around on D.C. with, um, you know, various uh, awards that we've given, but the, that award you have is the uh, the number one award, the Legis Legislator of the Year, and uh, we really appreciate all the work you, uh, you've you done to, to earn it, and we look forward to working uh, with you going forward. Well, thank you so much. It's a great industry uh, that you serve, and it's great working with you. Thank you, Chuck. Thank you. Bud was recognized as NAMIC's Federal Legislator of the Year, along with Ohio Democratic Representative Joyce Beatty. Beatty was an original co-sponsor of the State Insurance Regulation Preservation Act. She also advocated forcefully for insurers to receive adequate representation on the Financial Stability Oversight Council. 
The 2019 edition of the Mutual Factor will be unveiled during NAMIC's 124th annual convention next week in National Harbor, Maryland. The updated analysis outlines mutual market performance, key rating agency metrics, and includes the results of a survey of commercial insurance buyers. The 2019 analysis provides an updated benchmark of key mutual insurance industry performance metrics against others in the property casualty insurance industry. In an upcoming episode of Insurance Uncovered, we will talk with researchers from both NAMIC and Aon about the new findings from this updated analysis of the mutual insurance industry. And that's a wrap for this episode of Insurance Uncovered. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast and we hope you'll keep tuning in as we return with more insurance news and information on October 2nd. If you have a topic or issue you'd like us to uncover, don't hesitate to let us know. You can always send us an email at uncovered at Until next time, I'm Kathy Imus. Have a great day.